0: Sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The twilight beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon, here in the American Southwest. Tonight, we celebrate the end of the work week by delving into startling science fiction stories that aired during the Golden Age of Radio, as we present our first Sci-Friday episode. The early 20th century saw the rise of radio as a powerful mode of communication and entertainment, But it also saw a revolutionary change in literature as science fiction became a prominent genre with an ever-widening audience. With legendary authors like Isaac Asimov and pop culture hits like the Buck Rogers series, the literary genre went mainstream. Similar themes began appearing on radio shows at the same time. Horror and mystery shows increasingly featured sci-fi stories, and there were even a few series devoted entirely to sci-fi stories, like Dimension X. One of the most common early science fiction topics was science gone wrong. Novels like Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde were early examples from the previous century, and as the pace of scientific exploration increased, stories about scientists with more ego than common sense became even more popular. Our first story tonight is The Green Plague, from The Mysterious Traveler, on June 17, 1952. The Mysterious Traveler aired on mutual radio from 1943 to 1952. The usual content was ghost stories and murder mysteries, but there were occasionally more outrageous themes. This show was second in popularity only to CBS Radio's suspense at the time. The premise of The Mysterious Traveler was putting the audience on a train trip alongside a nameless storyteller who relates a new supernatural or frightening story each week. The Mysterious Traveler was voiced by Maurice Toplin, who was a well-known radio personality of the day, after performing in several hit shows like The Shadow, Boston Blackie, and Gangbusters. His soothing yet ominous voice sets the scene perfectly in this show. The Green Plague is a simple story idea. A chemist thinks he has invented the perfect solution for growing plants more quickly, but the results of his hasty experiment may be all too green. And now, The Green Plague as heard on The Mysterious Traveler, in June of 1952. The Mysterious
1: Traveler, written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Coleman, starring one of radio's foremost actors, Cliff Carpenter. This is a mysterious traveler inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and kill you a little. Oh. At a speed of 15 miles an hour. And I, Stephen Reynolds, am responsible for the enemy's presence. I, and I alone, betrayed you. It wasn't intentional, and yet, that's a small comfort to those of you fleeing for your lives. Before you condemn me, those of you who may still be hearing my voice, please listen and try to understand. As it happens, you may find it in your hearts to forgive me. It began a year ago at the Lindbrook Country Club, not far from the campus of State University. A banquet was being held in honor of Dr. Charles Warren in recognition of his vast contribution to organic chemistry. The main speaker at the banquet is the governor of the state who was there to speak in tribute to Dr. Warren. You oh, know, Dr. Warren, and his brilliant work can only join in the worldwide tribute that he has won with his discovery of Murarium, the New Organic Soil Compound. On this happy occasion, it is my privilege to bestow on Dr. Warren State University's highest award, the DuPage Medal of Science. Come, ladies and gentlemen, this is indeed a happy moment in my life. For a scientist, there can be no greater reward than in serving his fellow men and bringing knowledge and light where there was none. The discovery of meridion begins a new era. For with this new organic compound, man is now able to revitalize soil that has been barren for hundreds of years. That the dream has become a reality, I owe largely to those of you who made my research through all these years possible. Without your kindness and invaluable aid, the discovery in Iridium would not have been possible. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> a great moment in your of life, man. Now one of the immortals of science. Let's go out on the lawn and party. Sure, You ever isn't so many new men in the park. It's a big story. And father will undoubtedly win the Nobel Prize next year. Really, sir? Well, he can't miss. You may not realize it, but... You're the daughter of a famous man now. One of these, sir. I'll be the wife of oh, a famous scientist. <laughs> That is, if you haven't changed your mind about marrying me. Uh, that's one thing I'll never change my mind about. Oh, yeah. I've never been so happy. Nor I. You're going to have everything you want, Anne a lovely home, jewels, servants. I'll get it for this. You've never known poverty, Anne. That's why you don't realize how important money is. We're going to have money, and a great deal of it, very soon. Where is it coming, from? For the past few months, I've been working secretly on an experiment. If I meet with success, and I expect to, we'll be wealthy beyond our dreams. An experiment? What sort of experiment is it? Your father, after years of research, has discovered an organic compound that revitalizes barren soil. My experiment, then approached the problem of food productivity on a different basis. How? Huh? Can you imagine what it would mean to mankind if a wheat crop could be grown in two weeks instead of the four months it takes? Think of ten wheat crops a year where before there had been only two. That's impossible. Nothing's impossible. Think of it. Crops literally growing overnight. A food abundant such as the world has never known before. But how? I'm experimenting with a new chemical formula which has chlorophyll as its base. This formula will assist nature accelerate the growth of plant life a hundredfold. I've already had some small success, but I haven't reached the ultimate goal yet. And when you do? When I do... Why one gallon of this new formula sprayed over an acre of land will produce a crop almost overnight. I'll be world famous and a millionaire. A millionaire? And of course. This new formula of mine will perfect it and put your father's soil compound, ruin. Well, it won't be very important in the face of my discovery. Mm-hmm do. just experiment. Is it important because it will be a great scientific advance? Or because it will make you wealthy? Why, I'm working for science and humanity, and you know that. But there's no harm in wanting to be wealthy, is there? <laughs> What I said to Anne wasn't true. I wasn't working for humanity. I was working for Steve Reynolds and the huge reward and honors that could be won. Yes, I wanted success more than anything else in life, no matter what the cost. In the months that followed, I worked day and night, rarely leaving the laboratory. One experiment followed another as I searched for the right formula. Then one day I was called by Dr. Warren's secretary and asked to come to his office. Steve, I have here your progress report for the past six months. You seem to have made little, if any, progress in your study of soil erosion. Well, to tell the truth, I've given up my study of soil erosion. I'm working on something else. Hmm. From your report, I guessed as much. Steve, I dislike saying this, but we can't ignore the obligations of your fellowship. I'm afraid I'll have to ask you on behalf of the trustees, you give up whatever experiment you're engaged in. I won't do it. I've been at it months, working day and night on this experiment. I'm, I'm too close to success now to give up. Steve, the trustee... Ch- when I'm succeeded, succeeded, and I will, I'll be world famous. Well, one of the great scientists of all time. I see. You've got to keep that project support of mine from the trustees so that they don't interfere. There must be some excuse you can give them. I'm sorry, Steve, but I must pass it along to them. Those are the rules. I'm asking you to break the rules. I can not for you, myself, or anyone else. Anne has told you my experiments, hasn't he? I know. You I... don't want me to succeed, do you? That's why you won't help me. Now Steve, you're overworked. You're nervous. Otherwise you just nothing will stop me, do you hear? Not you, nor the trustees, of the whole university. I'll go on with my experiment, and I'll succeed. <laughs> in my experiments there. Steve, you can't leave the university, not last year. It'll be a mark against your career. Before I'm finished, your father, the trustees, and the whole university will come to me hat in hand. You speak your father as so though he were your enemy. no friend. That I can tell you. If he had wanted, he could have withheld that report from the trustees. You're so determined to achieve success that you're blind to everything else. You've lost all sense of perspective. So you're on your father's side. Not because he's right. you value your fame and money about everything else. And why not? Is there anything else in the world that counts? Steve, you're like a strange. I think i seen married. you a mistake. Perhaps it would. you the ring. really alone. I moved my belongings into the farmhouse I'd rented and set up a small laboratory there. Went back to working day and night, for I knew it was a race against time. I had exactly $700 to my name, and once that was gone, I'd have to find a job. The weeks that followed were ones of unceasing work. One experiment followed another as I sought that elusive formula, which would accelerate growth in plant life a hundredfold. You know, the few moments of rest I took, I would think of Anne. Only my work kept me from going to her and apologizing. Just a minute. Anne. Ann. Oh, please, sweet son. I couldn't stay away any longer knowing you were here all alone. you forgiven me. In way, I am. Oh, yes, yes. Adam, you don't look well at all. Your eyes are so black. You've lost I've been so busy half the time I forgot to eat. How's your work coming? Not so well. I'm on the right trail, I know I am, but I, I haven't been able to perfect the formula. I'm working on Experiment 87 now. How long can you go on? You need to worry, Annie. But if I wanted to go on, I can't. My money's just about gone. Don't feel too badly, Levi. Yeah, I'm so close to succeeding. I know I am. But it isn't as though you can't pick up your experiments until you future, do. After you've had some rest and a chance to think everything out. Yes, I suppose you're right. Come inside. I'll show you the lab like this. No, I can't. I haven't got the fancy equipment that was available at the university, but I do have everything I need. Here we are. How crowded you are! Yeah. Yes, you see, each experiment called for a small separate box of earth. There are eighty-seven boxes in the room. That's why it's so crowded. Over there's the box of formula number one. From there, the boxes run across the floor to Formula two. Yeah. Formula eighty-seven. Formula 87. The box over there. And look. Plant growth. Four sprouts. Well, what about it, Steve? This morning at 7 o'clock, I planted four seeds in this box. and I injected the soil with Formula 87. This morning at 7? Yes, it's now noon. These sprouts grew in five hours. Five hours? And I think I succeeded. I found the formula. A yes. strange feeling, so I can see those sprouts growing. There I am. They are. Those sprouts. What are they? Tomatoes. This rate of growth continues, and by noon tomorrow, these plants will have matured, and they'll be bearing ripe tomatoes. <laughs> Steve, I hope you don't mind my coming here with this. Hello, of course not. Come in. I think you've overslept. What time is it? Nine o'clock. The tomato plant. Come along. They're mature and bearing full-grown green tomatoes. And these plants are from the seeds you planted only yesterday morning? Yes. Here are my notes. 7 a.m., for tomato seeds planted. 705, 250 cc, the formula 87 injected into the soil. That's incredible. Simply incredible. A few more hours, those tomatoes will be ripe, ready to be eaten. Just 30 hours after I planted the seeds. Formula 87 will mean the end of famine. Word. My families will be able to grow their own fruits and vegetables almost overnight. Using but a few square yards of earth. Yes. Go out right into the garden? There be more to see. More to see? Yes. Yesterday afternoon after Ann left, I planted an acre of tomatoes. can sprayed the acre with five gallons of 87. Mm. Look, Doc. The acre is completely covered with half-grown tomato plants. By late this afternoon, those plants will have produced a crop of ripe tomatoes. I wonder if you fully realize the implications of your discovery, Steve. It means the end of agricultural life as man has known it these thousands of years. With your discovery, a new era has begun for mankind. we stood there in the garden, there could be no question that every man, woman, and child on earth would be affected by my discovery. was no urging on my part to have Dr. Warren and Ann stay on. They were too entranced to leave the garden and the plants that were growing before their very eyes. By four o'clock that afternoon, there was an acre of completely ripened tomatoes, ready for consumption. Dr. Warren, Ann, and I returned to the house, and I persuaded them to stay overnight. We were all up at dawn, eager to see the plant growth that had taken place during the night. It was Dr. Warren, who, as he led us into the garden, made the startling discovery. Steve, look. What is it, Doctor? All, all I see is an acre of overripe tomatoes. The plant life surrounding the acre. Well, there's nothing but dense growth. Uh, there weeds, vines, wild grass. Look how thick it is. And it's all six feet high. Oh, you're right. Yesterday there was nothing there to speak of. The weeds were just knee high. Yes, I recall. What does it mean? Apparently, when I sprayed the acre where I planted some of Formula Eighty Seven, carried Ruby on, causing those weeds and other plants to grow overnight to six feet. Ah, uh, the question now is, have they stopped growing? Well, come along, let's have a look. That's not growing those weeds.
2: The other plants are like Jungle growth.
1: The jungle growth. Yes, I was thinking the same. It's difficult to tell from here how far it extends. Well, it can't be more than a few feet where I sprayed beyond the acre. Ah, here we are. So let's walk through it. See how deep it is. All right. The two of you had better follow the path I'm making. It's pretty good through here. Yes. We're almost thirty feet into this growth. How much further does it extend? I don't know. Can't tell yet. That's the grass of the African Rift. Yes, we've come quite a way now. Can't even see the farmhouse behind us anymore. You know we are going in circles. We can't extend this far. No, so we're walking a straight line. I've been following the sun. Dad, how far do you think we've come? Oh, at least a hundred yards. Well, ah, the grove is beginning to thin out. I think we've reached the outer fringe of it. Dad. Yes. Yeah, here's the field. Well, thank goodness you out of that. Steve, do you realize how many acres that growth covers? At least ten acres, and it all sprang up just late yesterday afternoon. What do you make of it, Doctor? This Formula 87 of yours not only accelerates the growth of plant life a hundredfold where spray, but also affects the surrounding acres. What is it in Formula 87? causes it to spread? Ah, uh, you must realize, Anne, that in this new formula, we are dealing with the unknown. Well, perhaps Steve can explain why it caused such a growth on an additional ten acres. No, I can't, Doctor. as so much a puzzle to me as it is to you. What are you doing, Steve? The father had to give a small watch to march As of this moment. As of this month. Yes, Anne. In a few minutes, we've stood here. The growth is continuing. It's spreading. Uh-huh. Good morning. This is Bill Storm with the 9 o'clock news. Well, startling news has been coming in over the press wires in the last 10 minutes. A young associate professor, Stephen Reynolds of State University, discovered a new chemical formula which has the power to accelerate plant life growth a hundredfold. While engaged in experiments on his farm twenty miles outside of Stateville, Professor Reynolds sprayed an acre of land with his new discovery, Formula Eighty Seven. One of the amazing results of this experiment was the growth overnight of a one-acre crop of tomatoes. But another result, which seemed almost incredible to this reporter, is the news that Formula 87 caused plant life in surrounding acreage to grow overnight into a fantastic growth and become so thick and profuse as to cause on-the-spot observers to compare it to jungle growth. Even more amazing, the growth seems to be spreading in all directions at the rate of 100 acres an hour. Already it has spread over 2,000 acres of land. Agricultural experts and scientists are being rushed to the scene of this phenomenon. Stay tuned for further news functions during the day. Steve. Yes, Doctor? Did the dynamite give any results? None at all. Oh, here comes the governor. There you are, Dr. Warren. All right, what's the latest word? Now, the growth is now spreading at the rate of a mile an hour in every direction. Why, that means thousands of acres of valuable land turning into jungle every hour. Yes, and what more is spreading at an accelerated speed. By evening, it'll be spreading at a rate of three miles an hour. Haven't you been able to do anything to stop it? Well, we tried dynamite fire, all to no avail. I have the best scientific brains in the country working on the problem. But as yet, we haven't been able to determine what it is that's causing this wild growth to spread. Young man... This catastrophe is of your doing. Have you any ideas what is causing this growth to spread in such a frightening manner? I'm not certain, but I think Formula 87 created a new type of pollen. And it's the pollen which is spreading this growth. A new type of pollen? Well, what makes you think that, Steve? I just got a report that the growth has crossed the Ardmore River and it's spread to the other bank. The Ardmore River? Oh, that's half of my life. Yes, and that's why I'm convinced a pollen of some sort is carrying this plague. You're probably right. Well, can't you come up with a, a new spray, something that will stop it? We'll do what we can, Governor. We're not losing a minute. What's going to happen, Doctor, when this jungle growth reaches villages and towns? We have already have to evacuate farmers. Yes, yes. We'll work day and night, Governor, to find I'm the answer the to answer answer all, answer all this. The that's a fantastic rate. It's spreading. spreading. I'd better order out our national guard and ask for assistance from Washington. This is Bill Storm, speaking to you from the state capitol. While well, the Green Plague continues to advance, and Governor Thomas has declared a state emergency. Martial law has been imposed with the full approval of Washington. The Green Plague has spread over an area of 40,000 acres. Four villages and two towns were evacuated shortly before they were engulfed by this advancing jungle growth, which scientists have been unable to explain or hope. These scientists state that the growth is accelerating its advance from hour to hour and is now moving at a rate of 15 miles an hour. Meanwhile, on the spot observers state that plants, vines, and trees are literally springing up before their very eyes and that this fantastic and relentless growth is crushing and destroying all that which lies before it. All residents of the state capital have been evacuated, and momentarily we expect orders to abandon this station. However, full news reports will be continuously broadcast from other stations. Meanwhile, reports from Washington indicate that... Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, I have just received the signal that this station is to be abandoned. Tune in to other stations for further news prices. Steve, we better leave the studio the station. Leave? Look, you two had better come with me. You heard me broadcast. We're abandoning this station. Come on, Steve. Well, what about those people who may not have been tuned in? May not know about the green flag? Look, Mr. Reynolds, I've done what I was told to do. I'm not responsible for people who didn't hear my warnings. But I am. What? Oh, you mean because... that? Yes. Of... Well, we'd better get going. There's no time to discuss this. Is the equipment still on? Yes. Why? And you leave it with this storm. I'll follow later. What
3: are you going
1: to do? Some people may tune into the station may not know what's happening. I'm going to stay here a while longer. Broadcast the war. Then I'll stay, too. Look, I'm leaving. You'd better make up your minds in a hurry. We'll stay for a while. Okay, if that's the way you want it. So long. Still not too late to change your mind. No. Go ahead. Any of you are still listening in, Stephen Reynolds, speaking to you from the state capitol. This is to warn you that a terrible force of nature has been unleashed. I, and I alone, am responsible for what has happened. That's a small comfort to those of you fleeing for your lives, unable to understand the disaster that was brought about by my experiments. Experiments I was interested in for a personal gain, not for the advancement of science and humanity. Perhaps, that's the reason. I, the green plate. which reached town. Let's get here. Give me your hand. Steve, it sounds almost like an earthquake. Yes.
4: This way to the street.
1: Oh, please. The bushes are growing before I go long. There's a no explosion, Building across the street. It's gonna come down! Run! again, I take this same train every week at this same time.
5: You have just heard The Mysterious Traveler. Now you can enjoy other tense and exciting stories of The Mysterious Traveler in the current issue of The Mysterious Traveler magazine now available. All characters in our story were fictitious. Any resemblance to actual persons in name or otherwise is purely coincidental. Music is under the direction of Emerson Buckley, composed by Richard
1: Page, Bill Tonkin's making this program came to you from New York.
0: You just listened to The Green Plague from The Mysterious Traveler, as originally aired on June 17th, 1952. Our next story is Oxychloride X from Lights Out on February 16th, 1943. Lights Out was one of the more campy and shocking shows of this era. It had an iconic opening sequence with a rhythmic gong sounding behind a droning voice, warning the listener that it is later than you think. The show's lead rider for most of its run was Arch Oberler, and he usually introduced each episode. Oberler was notorious for his over-the-top plots and strange twists, along with an endless parade of colorful characters that sprang from his mind. Oxychloride X is another classic tale of sci-fi terror, with a plot that should seem familiar to modern audiences. A jilted outsider with a flair of a science lets his desire for revenge overcome the need for caution with disastrous effects. And now, Oxychloride X, as heard on Lights Out in February of
5: 1943. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out Everybody.
2: It
4: is
6: later than you think. Lights Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we
5: urge you calmly, but sincerely, to turn off your radio now. This is Arch Obler. Someone has said that the two main springs which
3: drive the world are hunger and the will to power. I think we'll all agree about the hunger, but as to the world of power, well, sometimes I think it's not quite as strenuous as that. There are some people in this world who don't want to run anything, they just want to be liked. And that's the mainspring of our story tonight Oxychloride X. And
5: now, lights out. Everybody.
2: So uh, I says to him, I says, well, sir, I'd like to be obliging, but I really haven't got the time. And he says to me, he says, well, Mr. Jackson, after all, we're making this proposition only to a few outstanding student representatives on the campus. And uh, we do feel that you should be interested in our proposition. Well, what did you say? Well, I said, mister, I can't be bothered. Just can't be bothered. And I gets in my car and off I goes. But, Bob, free clothes just for wearing them around the campus. Listen, Stan, my boy. Well, I not want to be a clothes horse for any old haberdashery. My old pappy's got more money than he knows what to do with. Now, what for, I ask him? Well,
4: I guess you got something there. Mm. Say, uh, who are you going to take to the dance Saturday night? Mm, have made up my mind. How about that new number over at the Roto House?
2: Uh, no, thank you, brother. What's the matter? Well, did you ever take a look at her feet?
4: <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> never got below her chin. <laughs> now hold it. Yeah?
6: Ray
4: Stewart to see you, Stan. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, send him on up.
2: Ray Stewart. Who's he?
4: Well, we're still short one pledge, aren't we?
2: Oh, yeah, I know. But Ray Stewart, who is he? Oh, I
4: met him over in chemistry. Got a mind like a textbook.
2: Oh, but who is he? We can't pledge a man just because he's a grind.
4: Well, we could use a few grinds around here. Exams come around. There's nothing like a few of those brainy boys to pull us through. But who is he? Where is he from? Who's his family? Who's his father? Hold, pa- hold it, hold Morning, Ray. Oh, thank you. Oh, it was good of you to bother to come over tonight. It was good of you to ask me. Oh, not at all. Ray, I want you to meet the president of our house, Bob Jackson. Mr. Jackson, Mr. Stewart.
6: Hi. I'm certainly glad to make your acquaintance. I, I might as well admit this is the first time I've ever been in a fraternity house. Really?
4: Uh, sit down, Ray. Make yourself at home. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, tell me, Ray, uh... Uh, do you ever go in for any sports back in your prep days?
6: Oh, no. I never had much time for that sort of thing. No? No, I think that sports should be put into their proper place. After all, I'm
2: sure you agree they aren't particularly important. No. And what might I ask is important in your estimation, Mr. Uh, uh, Stewart? Doing things. Uh, being someone. What?
6: Doing things man's never done before. Taking the elements and transmuting them into things which never existed until you thought of them. that That's important. That's that's being almost godlike, isn't it?
4: Mister, how you talk? Oh, I'm sorry. i sorry. I get sort of carried away. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Uh, Bob, uh, this boy sure knows his chemistry.
6: Huh? Oh, I, I really don't know so much.
4: Say, I ought to know better. You pulled me over some tough spots in this course. I, I'm very glad to help you whenever
6: I can. If, if I lived here, I could
4: help you all the time. I could help you too, Mr. Jackson. If I need help, I know where to get it. Oh, I, I didn't mean to offend it's, uh, you. It's all right, Stuart. Uh, now, uh, tell me, you're, uh, you're from around Chicago way, aren't you? Oh, no, Milwaukee.
2: Lived there for years. Ah, don't tell me I'm one of those
6: Bruin families. Oh, <laughs> no. We're not wealthy people at all. Uh. My father runs a small business. It, it isn't much, but we get along. Oh. I don't think money's important anyway if a person's ambitious. Do you, Mr. Jackson? Oh, no, no. <laughs> What's money? You fellas may think this funny, but... Well, I always thought it's more important what a fella does than what he has... I mean, well, I've always had the feeling that someday, somehow, I'm going to do something really important, maybe even miraculous.
2: Well, now, what do you expect to do? Discover the missing link?
4: Uh,
6: Yes, Stuart. Uh,
2: What is this miracle you expect to perform?
6: Well, I
4: I don't know exactly.
6: Ever since I've been just a kid, I've been interested in chemistry, and I've had a feeling that someday I'd, well, perform an experiment, mix certain chemicals together and... Something would happen that never happened before. Now, you hear that, Stan?
2: A miracle man.
6: Amazing, my dear Bob. Simply amazing. I know it sounds silly,
2: but the things I dream about always seem to work out. Well, would you mind telling us the last miracle that worked out? Well, this. This? Well, what do you mean?
6: Well, as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to belong to a fraternity, and here I am.
2: I mean, you invited me. Oh, just a minute there, fellow. Uh, Mr. Stewart, it's been awfully nice of you to come over and visit with us. And someday we'll have you back again. Uh, But now we've got some studying to do, so if you don't mind. Oh, no,
6: no, not at all. It was nice of you to invite me over. Well, good
2: night, fellas. Good night. Good night. (laughs) <laughs> All the screwy crackpots. Yeah.
4: Did you see the look in his eye when he was talking about miracles?
2: Yeah. Well, it'll be a miracle if he ever gets back into this house again, I'll tell you that. What in the world ever made you ask him over here?
4: Well, I didn't know. How was I to know he's a crackpot?
2: <laughs> Pledge him to our fraternity. Pledge him to the, the booby hatch. <laughs>
3: Mr. Stewart, if you please. Mr. Stewart. Yes, Professor? Mr. Stewart, might I ask if you're anxious to sever your relationship with this university? No, sir. Then might I ask why in creation you persist in ignoring my warnings? In this laboratory, you're to perform the experiments given you to perform. Understand? Given you to perform. Yes, sir. Then might I ask why you persist in your, shall I call it, original experiments? Perhaps it's your intention to blow up the university. Or just the laboratory. I'm sorry. You'll be more than sorry if I find you doing this sort of thing again. Now, take down this apparatus and continue with the work in your textbook. Yes, sir. This is my last warning, so bear it in mind.
2: Oh, hello, Stuart. Uh, how about loan me your notebook for a few hours? Hmm? Uh, oh, hello, Jackson. You uh, you haven't been to lab much, have you? Uh, no, no, I haven't, but I can make it up. Uh, we've been pretty busy over to the house. Initiations and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Jackson. Yeah? You uh,
6: never invited me back. I... I thought maybe you forgot.
2: Oh, well, you know how those things are. I, I wrote my mother that I was joining your fraternity. It, well, that was a sap thing to do. Was it? Well, we hadn't pledged you. Stan simply invited you over so I could talk to you. But you said you wanted me to come back. Oh, now, look here, fella, Don't be stupid about this. We didn't pledge you, so that's that.
6: And you're not going to pledge me? Certainly not. But why?
2: I don't have to tell you why. But you've got to tell me. Oh, quit me. pawing me, will you? All right, you're asking for it, so here it is. We didn't pledge you because we think you're a crackpot. Uh, a what? A crackpot. You talk about miracles. You spend every minute of your time here in the lab monkeying around with things you don't know anything about, getting yourself in all kinds of trouble. I'll bet you never had a glass of beer in your life. And if a girl ever looked at you, you'd fall over in a faint. Then you're not going to pledge me? You're not
6: going no, to pledge No, we're me? not going to pledge you.
2: So if your mom expects you to be in a fraternity, you better start cooking up one of those miracles, fella. A first-class miracle.
6: It's so late. Sleep. I've Got to sleep. Not gonna pledge you. That's what he said. Not gonna pledge me. Why do I keep thinking about it? If I could only sleep. 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 We think you're a crackpot. Oh, I gotta stop thinking about these things. It's not healthy to think what I'm thinking. Crackpot. Not gonna pledge you. Crackpot. What's the matter with not my gonna head? Pledge you. Crackpot. I'm talking in it over and over not and over again. You. Crackpot. I'm not, not crazy. I'm not. I'm as good as you are. I'm as good as both you put together. Stop saying that. Stop saying it. I'll show you. I'll show you both. I'm better than you are. I'm better than anybody. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll show you. Talk about miracles. I'll give you miracles. The lab. I've got to get into it. I'll give you miracles. Dark in there. I've got to get in. Oh, blasted door to get in. Window. I'll show you. It's so dark in here. Got to find a lab table. Got to make a miracle.
7: Who's there? Who's there, I say? Watchman. Come on, now. Who's there? Talk
6: up. Hey, you don't have to get so excited. I, I'm a student. I'm a student, eh? Let's have a look at you. That flashlight, you, you're blinding me. Well, I've got to see who you are, don't I? Yeah, I
7: know you. Seen you on the campus. I told you I'm a student. Well, I don't give you no right to be here after hours. How'd you get in here?
6: Oh,
7: broke a window now, did you, huh? I didn't break
6: the window. But I
7: heard the glass. So
6: did I, and I followed the man in here.
7: Man, what are you talking about?
6: Give me your flashlight and I'll show you. All right. Here. Look behind you. No one will stop me. No one. Miracle. I've got to make one. Got to. Got to. Got to. C.C. barium, 5 C.C. selenium oxychloride. Oh, good, good. You're working out just as I planned.
3: Who's there? Who's that working there? Uh, Professor. Oh, it's you, Stuart. And after all my warnings. You're just in time, Professor. Yes, just in time to have you thrown out of the university. What are you doing there? What is this mess of equipment? It's my miracle. Miracle? What are you talking about? My miracle. Are you insane? Take it apart, all of it, at once. Hmm. Listen to it bubbling. A
6: beautiful sound, isn't it, Professor? Take
3: it apart, I tell you. Empty out the retort. No. No, I've got to wait. Are you mad? Turn out the burners. All right, I'll turn them off for you. No, stay where you are. Stuart, put down that acid. I'll smash
6: the bottle on your head if you touch anything no, on that table.
3: No, don't throw it. Put the bottle of acid down, Stuart. Please. My experiment.
6: My miracle. Bubbling and boiling and stewing. It will work, Professor. It's got to work. But, but what is it? I told them I'd create something that no other man has. I told them. And I will, Professor. You hear me? I will. But, but what? A solvent. A solvent more powerful than anything the world has ever
3: known what do you mean what are you talking about listen to it bubble you said solvent explain yourself yes a solvent a solvent that will dissolve steel like a hot flame what do you say
6: you heard me say it a solvent that will dissolve steel faster than a razor cutting through paper do you know what that means run a line of this liquid across a steel girder and the girder will crumple like a falling tree pour some of my solvent into a glass shell and bomb the cities I tell you, it'll make war too horrible for men to endure. Uh,
3: uh, You, you
6: crazy boy, you. You know what you're talking about? I'm talking about that. That liquid
3: there. Listen to it. Listen to it sing. Why, no such solvent exists. Selenium oxychloride, perhaps, but to do the impossible things you talked about would require a quantity, so... Oh, the beaker. It cracked. Well, do something. That liquid's flying all over my bench. My laboratory. The stone of the bench. It's eating through the stone. Well, stop it. The liquid. It's eating through the stone
6: bench. No. No, it can't be. It's eating through the slate of the floor. The hole's getting bigger and bigger.
3: Run! Run!
6: Oh, I've done it. I've created something no other man has done. A solvent that dissolves anything. Anything. Anything!
4: Hey, what happened? What's the that? The lamp. On fire. But where's the fire? I can't see anything. The we'll whole school's out here. Hey, hey, fellas, what's
3: up? Nobody seems to know. Something's going wrong in the lab. The firemen won't let us in. Something burning? I don't know. Can't get near enough
2: to find out. I can't oh, see any fire. Plenty of smoke though. Plenty of
4: excitement. Read about it tomorrow's paper. I'll bet you. Hey, listen to that sound. Yeah, it sounds like water. Gosh, what is it? Back! Everybody back! Back! The building. It's going to
2: crash! Run! Hey, run! Run!
6: He did it. A solvent that dissolves anything. Anything.
3: Hey, Chief, Chief, look at this. Huh? What's the matter, Murph? Somebody have sex doublets? Get a load of this, Chief. Came in over the news wires. Read it. Yeah. Conditional on Whitmore University. Mysterious cavity on campus growing larger hourly.
5: More follows. Huh. Mysterious cavity. Hey. What is this, a dentist advertisement? Don't you remember, Chief? A couple hours ago, that flash about something eating a hole so big a building fell in it. This is the follow-up. The thing's getting bigger. What do you want to do about it? Forget it. What? Don't you see through
3: a gag when it hits you in the face? Somebody's just having fun on the wires. (laughs) Ha! Mysterious cavity growing bigger. Well, when it's as big as a hole in your head, that'll be news, Murph. That'll be news.
6: Anything. It dissolves anything. And I did it. I discovered it.
7: Yes, 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 yes. Hello. What is it? Yes, yes, this is Dr. Whitmore. Who is this? Who? National News Service. Now look here, my good man. It's four o'clock in the morning and I'm supposed to be resting. My vacation, you know. What? My university? Building collapsed. But well, are you sure? Yes, yes, I'll call them long distance at once. No, no, I can't give you any sort of statement. Now, hang up, man. I've got to get the operator. 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 Give me long distance. Give me... What? Long distance is calling? Well, put them on. Put them on. Hello. Hello. Yes, this is he. Rogers? Yes, Rogers. What? He did? That's impossible. Larger? But how could it grow larger? Larger? Chemicals? Are you drunk men?
4: Insane? It's impossible.
2: Impossible.
3: But you must do something. Something. Listen, mister. I'm a fireman, not a magician. But that hole, it's 20 feet wider than it was 10 minutes ago.
4: Mister, I don't know what it's all about. No fire and the ground's burning right away. We
3: have $5 million worth of property on this ground. If that hole spreads... For peace
4: sake, should... leave me alone, will you? We've been throwing water on the edges of the thing ever since the building fell in, but it don't
3: do no good. It don't do no good. Out of tonight's paper. The latest news on the Whitmore University mystery. What at first was treated lightly by all newspapers as either a hoax or a shifting of earth stratum has now developed into an authentic yet unbelievable situation. The hole which began at the site of the chemical laboratory building is now 300 feet in diameter and spreading with unbelievable rapidity. Fire departments and fire experts from all neighboring communities within a radius of 100 miles have been called in, but have been helpless to combat the rapidly spreading pit. Many conflicting theories have been propounded as to the cause of the cave-in, but at last reports nothing definite had been determined. That's enough, Professor Parker. What about the solvent? Unbelievable, unexplainable as it is. It is apparently self-regenerating and oxidizing anything it comes in contact with so quickly that we see no fire but only the rapidly growing cavity where the earth is being consumed. But, Professor
4: Parker,
7: what is this solvent? Surely you don't expect us to believe that this student you were telling us about... I mean exactly that. Oh, preposterous. It's a fault in the structure of the earth. There is no such thing as a self-regenerating solvent. Simple cave-in, that's all it is.
3: Gentlemen, gentlemen, if you please. What I know, I know. Oh, It's preposterous. Gentlemen, if you please. If my professional reputation is not enough to substantiate what I've said, then at least you'll listen to the boy himself. He's here. Listen to him. Why should we... we? Yes, gentlemen, if you'll listen, I'll tell you.
7: You'd better listen to me. Gentlemen,
3: please. What
6: Professor Parker said is true. It is a solvent. It dissolves anything it touches quickly, furiously. And the byproducts of that dissolution give it new strength and movement. And I discovered it, gentlemen. I.
7: I know, but what will happen? What can we do?
6: We can wait. Wait?
7: Wait. Wait! How can we wait? Look out there! The hole's within two feet of another building already. We've got to stop it! At once! If Look, you don't! Build
4: the building! The foundation's undermined! It's crashing!
7: Mother in heaven, Harris Hall caved right in the hole. Professor Parker, you boy, listen. Which chemicals did you use? We've got to fight it with chemicals. Spread them around the edge. Neutralize
3: the solvent. Yes, yes, that's it. Chemicals we will neutralize the reaction.
6: No, gentlemen. Listen, listen. You may neutralize the reaction at the edges of the hole, but you forget one thing. What? What are you talking about? The solvent is eating downward at many times the rate it's eating outward. You may neutralize the reaction at the edges of the hole, but have you forgotten? It's eaten the hole a quarter of a mile deep already. And it's eating into the earth faster and faster. (laughs) How are you going to stop that?
3: How are you going to... Faster, faster and faster at an ever-increasing rate, this strange cancer on the surface is eating away. It is now approximately 14 hours since the phenomenon began, and already it has eaten outward a distance approximately one mile in diameter with a resulting damage of over a million and a half in property.
5: Truly the most astounding factor in this catastrophe is the fact that the hole is increasing in depth... at an unbelievable rate. At our last reports approximately 10 minutes ago... the pit had reached a depth of approximately 3 miles. And experts apparently refuse to predict... how much further this earth cancer will go. What only a handful of hours ago... was a quiet section of the country... in which stood the Whitmore University... is now a great gaping pit in the surface of the earth, out of which rise strange noxious gases as that burning something eats deeper and deeper and deeper into the bowels of the earth. The latest sonic recordings indicate that the shaft has now reached a depth of 11 miles, 2,342 feet. I'm right on the scene and will continue to send reports as quickly as I get. Sure, there's a
4: crowd here. Yeah, half a million, they say. Yeah, watching and and waiting, and for what? Ain't it ever going to stop, Stan? Don't ask me. I don't know. It's going deeper and deeper every minute. There ain't no
2: stopping it. Listen to me. Scared, ain't they? Every one of them. Well, aren't you? Yeah, sure. That hole going deeper and deeper into the ground, and nobody can stop it. And what happens when it gets all the way through, nobody knows.
3: Sure, I'm scared.
2: Scared plenty.
3: Earthquake. Help! Send help! Volcano erupting. City on fire. Martial law declares. Tidal waves sweeping inland. Nothing can stop it. Nothing. Nothing. Earthquake. Fire. Tidal waves. We're coming to an end. Judgment of God.
7: Judgment of God! From Siberia to Cape Town to San Francisco and around the world again. I tell you, the earth's ripping apart. And I tell you, it's that hole in the ground that's done it. It's affected the rotation of the earth. Unbalanced things.
3: Yes, and it's biting deeper every minute. What'll happen when it eats through to the other side? The ocean pouring through. We'll die. We'll all die.
2: Who's to blame? Who's to blame? Who's to blame? It's that kid who's to blame.
7: Yeah, we read it in the papers. That crazy uh, college kid. There. There he is. Where? That's him. That's Where him. Rabbit. Yeah,
6: He's to blame. No, no, blame. no, let me go. You fools, you. I've done a great thing. A wonderful thing. Created something no one ever thought of. No, let me down. Let me down. Let me down, you fools. I started the song, but I didn't know this would happen. You can't blame me for a miracle. Throw him in the hole. No. Yes, throw in the hole. No. yes, throw him in the hole. He made it. No, don't throw yes, me down yes, in here! There's me. no bottom to it. No, no.
2: Here. Here, put him down here on the grass.
4: Dead?
2: Yes. Boy, oh boy, will this be a sensation on the campus. But,
4: Watchman, how did it happen?
7: Well, me, I'm making my rounds of the grounds as usual, and all at once in the moonlight, I see this fellow walking across the grass. So I go up to him and I see the fellow's walking in his sleep. In his sleep, yeah. Yeah. And just when I start to grab him easy-like, he pulls loose, yells something about, don't throw me in, don't throw me in. And then he runs across the campus and dives headfirst down into the swimming pool. And it's empty. When I pull him out, he's... He's like he is now. Busted neck. Well,
4: well, I did, but know. who is he?
3: Anyone recognize him?
4: Yeah. Yeah, I know him. Stewart's his name. Ray Stewart. Kind of a screwy little crackpot. Always talking about creating miracles with chemicals. I wonder what he thought was happening to him diving down that hole.
0: This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. That will wrap up this episode of The Twilight Beacon. You heard The Green Plague from the June 17th, 1952 airing of The Mysterious Traveler and Oxychloride X from the February 16th, 1943 broadcast of Lights Out. The Twilight Beacon will return next Monday, October 11th with two classic radio episodes based on the writings of famous American authors. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell. Saying good night, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep.
3: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon Podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarata. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and the schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.